I just want to say this, just in the midst of all that's going on, that um, we are a unique, peculiar people that has access to peace that the world doesn't have. We have the peace that passes understanding. I wrote a text the other day. So uh, I don't know if we posted this um, or not, but uh, we did on Facebook. Okay, cool. I just said grace greetings. I wanted to say in light of all that's going on with the coronavirus that we as Christians can take this as an opportunity to minister hope and a sound mind to our friends, family, and community. Of course, we need to take all the advice of the public health administrators to wash our hands regularly and to use common sense, but I think because we know God, hopefully through our life and our actions, we could then make him known to a world that has no hope and is potentially freaking out over this current crisis. We don't need to underestimate it, but we certainly don't need to panic and overestimate it either. We have Christ, which means we have hope, life, purpose, and answers for people. Hope to see you all on Sunday. Boom, shakalaka, here you are. It doesn't say boom, shakalaka, but... um, And I was just thinking, too, that... I bought some weird things in the past. Um, I've made some purchases that probably were just temporary. We've we've had three wheelers, quads. I remember we bought a boat at one time, and I was just trying to create memories for the kids. And I remember we bought this boat, and um, at one time, because we bought it in Utah, we had it winterized because it gets freezing in the winter, and the plug I forgot to put back in, so the boat was taking on immense water when we were out on the lake. Um, and so that was a scramble. My wife doesn't know how to drive a truck with a trailer in reverse. She doesn't know how to drive the boat. So I'm like getting to the dock. The boat's taking on water. I'm just running up to get the, uh, get the truck back, the truck up, and then get back in the boat and then put it on the trailer and then get out of the boat and get in the truck and before this thing sinks. <laughs> and um, I remember one time we were taking the, some church people out on the boat. And Lake Utah, where we lived by, it was... Um, it's about 11 miles wide and about 10 feet deep. It's a weird lake. It's huge. But when the water com- or when the wind comes up, boats capsize and people die out there all the time. I remember being out there one time, and um, this was a ski boat, and um, it was, so it's a low-profile boat, and water, the waves were just coming over. I lost my iPhone that day. I didn't lose anyone, but there's people in there just you know get us back to safety so we got back to safety and um i don't know eric you've maybe you've been out i've been out to the ocean before and there are some big maybe like 15 20 feet i don't know the the size of the swells they weren't capping like they do on the shore where you surf but when you're out in deep sea fishing i remember um i went to the front of the boat and i was maybe chloe's age or something like that and I walked to the front of the boat, and the boat was like a 60-footer, 40-footer. It was a pretty big boat. Um, and when the boat went down, and the wave was as tall as the ceiling, it looked like, and then the boat went up, and when the top of it went up, my feet went up as well. And I'm, I'm holding on the rail, and my feet are above my head. And then the boat came down, and the water came over, and my feet crashed, and I immediately thought, this is not the place to stand in the midst of a storm. <laughs> so I went to the back, and they're like, get in the back of the boat. They, and they, they lost three people that day that went over, but they recovered. And not three people died. But, yeah, and so 
I'm saying all this to say Jesus was in the back of the boat. (laughs) And there were some serious waves. And they thought they were going to die and perish. And so the Son of God just seems to not be taking it too serious. And they're looking at their circumstances and they say, do you not care that we're going to perish? And sometimes it feels like, God, are you asleep? And I thought about this because I read an article the other day that from 1993 from um, a guy, author I used to follow quite a bit named Dave Hunt. He wrote the Berean Call. It was an old article. And it was called The God Who Hides Himself. And his thought was this, that if God revealed himself too much, you wouldn't, it wouldn't require faith. Everyone would believe But he kind of sequesters himself, but he reveals himself in various ways, in different ways, um, so that there's still an opportunity to uh, believe. And so all I'm saying is, don't freak out. It might seem like God's asleep or he doesn't care, but he does get up and he says, peace be still. And all the water just flattens. And then they believe. And then they kind of have this dialogue with Jesus. We believe, but help our unbelief. And all I'm saying to the church is, I think we have an opportunity to be believers in the one that calms the storms, the one that might be seemingly asleep. And uh, I think, too, that we have an opportunity to be a peculiar people because we have the Prince of Peace. We have the Creator that's uncreated who lives in us. And we have hope Isn't it amazing that Paul's in prison and he's writing to people to be encouraged, to not despair, to, you know, focus on Christ and to love one another. And he potentially is going to get his head chopped off. He doesn't know, but he still comes from a place of encouragement, not despair, not despondency. And so I don't know the future, but I do know this. We know the one who holds the future. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I know that's a really extreme verse to use at this moment because I don't think we're there yet, but I don't know uh, outside of me getting in a car wreck or there's a lot of different ways I could go home to be with the Lord. So all I'm saying is we are a people of great hope. We have promise um, that we get to be with God uh, forever. But also too, this very same one, Jesus, who... Everyone's freaking out, and they're about ready to stone this woman uh, caught in adultery. He's riding in the sand. What's with Jesus sometimes, right? He's just riding in the sand. She's about ready to get, you know, stoned to death, and uh, he's just kind of calm. He's just kind of calm, cool, and collective. And I think because because of his connectedness to the Father, uh, he just had, he walked around. He, of course, he was the Prince of Peace, but he has the peace. He is the peace. And the Bible says we have this mind. And the Bible also says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So what I'm trying to say is, let's take it from the theoretical and make it practical. Let's be a people of peace. Let's be a people of calm. Let's be a people that are smart. And, you know, use common sense. Uh, But let's not think the way the world thinks, right? Remember Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. 
my peace I give unto you. Okay, so hopefully that's an encouragement uh, to you. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're taking this journey through John. Thank you, Sean, for... I don't know how you got water, but you were able to pull it off, and not just any water. Fiji, you went to Fiji and got water. You had water shipped from Fiji, the best water on the planet I have in a bottle. (laughs) But thank you, Sean, for setting up the table and providing water. So we're going through the Gospel of John, and, and as we get into chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, we're going to be picking up the pace a little bit because we'll be taking larger sections of Scripture because they're dealing with stories and events that happened. Um, but right now, we're going to just be focused on one verse, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the heart of the bosom, the heart of the Father, he, Jesus, has declared him, revealed him, um, exegeted him. He has explained him. He's the expository of him. So today I just want to talk about two things. First, no one has seen God at any time. Second, Jesus has revealed the heart of the Father. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll just think on just these thoughts how We have an unseen God that has been revealed through the only begotten Son. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just reveal yourself to us in ways that only you can do. Calm the storms in our heart for our influence to our friends and family, or even if we're on social media, Lord, may we just be a different voice. May we just be those peculiar people that have the hope, the anchor to our soul within the veil. We have, we have access to the throne. We are seated in high places. We have you in union life with us as we do life and be life. So, Lord, guide us through just these thoughts. Show us what it means that you weren't seen, and then all of a sudden now you made yourself known through Jesus. We, we want to know. We want to know you and then make you known pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So no one has seen God at any time, and then Jesus has revealed the heart of the Father. So point number one, God is unseen. No one has seen God at any time. God is a spirit. He's invisible. He is unseen. And some of these verses are going to be pretty common to you, but uh, just by way of the obvious, John 4, 24 The Bible says God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. In fact, the word spirit is uh, pneumos, and if you study pneumatology, you're studying, you know, spiritual things. If you have pneumatic tools, they're air tools, and you can't see air. You can't see the spirit. And so God is a spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's, it's interesting because in that chapter, in that dialogue, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and she's talking about the place of worship. 
Where are we supposed to worship? We're Samaritans. Is it Mount Gerizim? Because we built a, we built a, a place for you to, to, to be. Or is it in Jerusalem where the Jews have kind of it all locked up and they've got kind of a corner on the religious market? And Jesus says, neither. God is a spirit. It's not about the place. It's about the person. And um, so he has that dialogue and, and reveals to us this great truth about who God is. John cha- 1 John chapter 4 uh, verse 12, same author, John, Holy Spirit, the in, inspirational uh, author. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have his spirit. We have his spirit. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise be honor and glory forever and ever amen so God is invisible Uh, no man has seen God at any time first Timothy chapter 6 verse 15 I'm just going to give some verses and then we're going to all turn to something that I think will be uh, interesting Uh, but in first Timothy chapter 6 verse 15 kind of you know so the Bible's kind of establishing itself with two or three different witnesses here. Um, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who no man uh, has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. I love that song that you guys, that last song. What a beautiful name he is. You have the power, you have the glory. Uh, He's the King of all glory. He's the Lord of lords, King of kings. Uh, just a powerful song, and I love, I love the way you guys did that. I love that song. Appreciate that. But we have a God that's invisible. We have a God that's eternal. We have a God that created everything seen and unseen, but yet everything that's seen comes from a place that's unseen, from a God that we can't see and never have seen, but we will see him because we'll be in his presence for those of that have received him. But let's kind of look at that thought from another angle. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, In whom Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's how we start. He forgives us to fill us with his life. And then we know from receiving his spirit, now we can understand these spiritual truths that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the manifestation. God's not a man but he revealed himself in the man Christ Jesus. He is the firstborn over all creation, this new creation. See, there was first there was Adam. He was created, but Jesus was born. But Adam was created body, soul, and spirit, but Jesus was the only one born body, soul, and spirit. And if you're born again, you've entered into this new creation after the the order of Christ, the last Adam, the restorer of everything. For by him all things are created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the binder of it all, the sustainer, and the one who started it. So, What I'd like for you to do is turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, because I want to show you something here. It's not going to be on the screen, because it's a large section of scripture. If you have a device, phone, iPad, um, 
whatever it is, uh, a Bible with paper. (laughs) I wonder if there's going to be a run to the store where there's just going to be no more Bibles left on the shelf. Just kidding. So Exodus chapter 33. So just you know what's what's taken place up into this point. Of course, they they leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. Egyptian army is engulfed. Uh, and go to Mount Sinai. I think it's about three months after that. Ten Commandments. Uh, Moses goes up, and they're building the tabernacle, and they're getting some some you know partial revelation and instruction along the way. Uh, the main thing was like you leave out by faith and you go into the, the promised land by faith. But they left out by faith, but then they went to flesh. And chapter 32 deals with uh, Moses being gone and in his delay, you know what happens. They start the party, turn to idolatry. Um, and so Moses is having this dialogue with God. And to Moses' um, defense a little bit, he's displaying some mercy and some compassion. He's like, blot my name out of your book. Um, don't put all your wrath on them. I'll take it. And it's kind of a picture of Jesus, you know, and we read about that in the law and the prophets that there will be one like unto Moses that will come. And if you study the life of Moses, there's a lot of similarities that picture the person of Christ. But (coughs) what I want to do is show you something that's interesting that perhaps you've read, but let's read it again in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7. So, Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And you know, the tabernacle was the portable version of what would be the semi-permanent version of the temple, which was not permanent because we're the temple now. You're the permanent dwelling uh, of God. Um, Well, actually, you're not because our bodies will die anyways. I mean, you know, we're the temporary temple tabernacle, but we will always be with God in his presence forever, but we're kind of his chosen place to dwell now, this side of the cross. So back in the Old Testament, and it came to pass that everyone that was which sought the Lord went out of the tabernacle, the congregation, which was without the camp, and it came to pass when Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at the tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass As Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. This is very interesting. And this might be kind of impressive to you, but we have something something of a different relationship. Um, We don't have to be at at the edge of our tent or the edge of our door wondering where God is. Uh, He goes with you to your house, to your church, to Vaughn's, to wait in line for three hours for whatever items left. Verse 10, though, and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle of the door, and all the people rose up and worshiped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Now, if you were just to stop there, you'd say, well, see, you just read a verse that no man's seen God at any time. But here we have God speaking to Moses face to face. We had to deal with this a lot in Utah. This was a main topic, right? 
But I want you to see something that the Bible interprets the Bible. And so when you take something out of context, right? If you take the text out of the context, it's just a con. And so in verse 11, we see God speaking face to face. Now, I think what's going on here is that God's having a conversation and he's speaking to Moses in a way that Moses could understand as if I was speaking to Jerry right now and he could understand me and, and I could understand Jerry. He's having a conversation. So let's just keep reading in the context. Verse 12, Moses said unto the Lord, see thou sayest unto me, bring up this people and thou hast not let me known whom uh, thou wilt sent with me. Uh, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in thy sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me uh, your way, that I may know you, and I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Remember, they just messed up, and they're wondering, like, what, why are we even doing all this anyways? And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said unto him, if your presence go not with me, carry us not up. Here's something I'd like to pause and say. You know what Moses is basically saying? I want to go into the promised land, but if your presence doesn't go there with me, I don't just want to go to the promised land for the promised land's sake. Bless you. Um, I don't want to go to the promised land for the promised land's sake. So what he's saying is, why go to the promised land if the person of the promised land is not there? Why go to heaven if the person of heaven is not there? Why go on a honeymoon if your honey is not there at the honeymoon? Why go to the place if it's not about the person? Do you see what I'm saying? And so Moses is saying, God, I don't even care about the promised land. If you're not there, I don't want to go. And it's interesting because I stood on Mount Nebo in the Middle East looking over the same area, and where I was at, there was a big old caduceus, and which is, it's the, anyways, it's, it, it was, they erected this big thing uh, to kind of commemorate the place where Moses supposedly stood to look over the promised land. And I was thinking about this, because did Moses go into the promised land? Yes or no? Did Aaron go? Did Miriam go? Would you say if they died, did they go to hell because they didn't go to the promised land? Where do you think they went? Heaven. Okay, so Moses is standing there. He looks into the promised land, and it's almost like he doesn't get to go, but he gets to go into the presence of the Lord rather than the place called the promised land. You tell me which was an upgrade. Right? Like you want to go to the promised land, which is, you know, that's a great place, but now he's with all those cantankerous people and they're murmuring and complaining and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's almost like Moses was disappointed, but not really, you know. So he's saying, if your presence doesn't go, what's the point of the promised land? It's almost like, what's the point of church? If Jesus is not here, not glorified, not the central figure, are we just going through the motions? What's the point of the song? What's the point of the message? What's the point of anything? If Jesus, if your presence isn't there, what's the point, right? So that's what Moses is saying. Verse 16, For in shall it be known uh, here that I and thy people have found grace in your sight. Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we uh, be separated, and 
thy people from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. They have an intimate relationship. And we have that same thing. Jesus says, I know my sheep by name, right? And they hear me and they follow me. And he said, I will beseech you, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord God before you, and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Okay, wait a second. Now the Bible's defining the Bible, because if we just read Moses talk to God face to face as a man talks to a, someone else face to face, and you just left it there, you see, see God, Moses saw God's face, and he talked to him face to face. But God himself is saying, no man could see my face and live. So then we have to interpret the Bible in light of what God's saying. Moses didn't have a face to face sit down. He was talking to God in a conversational way. Does God speak Hebrew? Is that his native tongue? God speaks God, right? Babylon was the confusion of all the languages. They're trying to build a tower to be like God. It's the oldest trick of the devil, you know, be like God, be like God. God confused the languages. So all the languages are, so God could interpret and speak any language. All he's doing was he was speaking to Moses in a way that Moses could understand. But God speaks God. He says, you can't see my face and live. There's no one who can see me and live. Verse 21, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass that while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by and I will take away my hand and you shall see my back parts, but my face you shall not see. And so God reveals his goodness and his glory, but no one could see God and live. I have a theory on this. So, Jesus shows up, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word put on skin. Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up. He shows them a little bit of the glory, the light. They fall down, they worship, they want to hang out there. Jesus says, let's take this message back down the hill and give it to people. Don't just be like a glory hog or hoarder, right? <laughs> and so, Jesus is on the cross, and they're stabbing him. They're doing all that they're doing to him. I think at any moment, if Jesus were to take off the skin and to let the glory that's within shine, everyone would have been melted. It's my theory. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, and we come back with him, you can read this in Revelation 19, it says, he destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. It goes out of his mouth like a sharp two-edged sword. Just him showing up levels the world. When the skin is off, I believe the skin was a veil of God's grace. Remove the skin, everyone dies. You can't see God and live. His holy, righteous, glorified self would I don't know what it does to sinners, but no one impure could stand in his presence. Take the skin off, the light comes out, everyone's decimated. We have been, we have been converted and transformed and raptured up to heaven. I'm kind of messing with the eschatology here, jumping way ahead. But we've been raptured into heaven, and then after the tribulation period, we all come back, and Jesus destroys them with the brightness of his glory. 
That's phenomenal to me. So God says, Moses, you can't see me and live. No one could, no one could see God and live. No one. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he only sees his goodness and a little bit of his glory. Because you can't, you can't see God and live, you know, for just letting the Bible be the Bible. So pretty, uh, to me, that's pretty amazing stuff. Let's go to point number two. So no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the heart of the Father, he has declared him. Now we have a definition because the word declared is kind of an interesting word. Um, it's the Greek word exogehemi. So it's where we get our English word uh, exegesis. But here's the definition. To lead out, to be a leader, to go before, to draw out a narrative, to unfold a teaching, to recount, rehearse, to unfold, declare the things relating to God, uh, used in Greek writing of interpretation of things sacred and divine. But we are divine. But this is where we get our English word exegesis, meaning a critical explanation or analysis, especially of a text, the exposition or interpretation of any literary production or passage, uh, more particularly the exposition or interpretation of Scripture. Synonyms of that would be a clarification, a construction, uh, an explanation, an exposition, an illumination, an illustration, and an interpretation. I'm saying all this to say that when the Bible says that Jesus came, no one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the heart of the Father, He has explained Him, revealed Him. He's the exposition. So we read about the living Word and the written Word, but it's the Word of God and the Word who was with God, was God, put on skin, manifested himself. So we, we read written words, but we don't have a relationship with the written Word. We have a relationship with the living, eternal Word. Right? So I don't worship the book. The book is a way to point me to the person and it's kind of a sign, it's a, it's a sign and it's a message, it's a roadmap to lead me to the destination to have this eternal relationship with the eternal living word. And I discover that through the written word, and God uses it that way. But Jesus is the exegesis, the expositor, the explanation of who God is. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. So basically, studying the life of Christ is to study the life of God himself. Jesus, in other words, is not who God looks like because God's not a man. Jesus is who God is like. And you know this familiar passage, John chapter 14. He just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you'd known me, you'd have known my Father also. From henceforth, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, just show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said unto him, it's almost like he, he takes the first person position of the Father. It's the way I read it. It might not be that way. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
I was, we were, I've used this illustration so long ago, and I forgot about it, and then the kids and I were talking, and Jen was in the car. She was like, oh, I've heard you say that a hundred times. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know if the kids remembered this, because we were talking about uh, Kobe, um, Kobe Bryant. And I was thinking, like, okay, if the spirit of Kobe Bryant entered into you, what would your life be typified? What would you identify your life like? What would you be known for? What would you do really well? Basketball. If the spirit of um, Michelangelo entered into you, what would you be known for? The spirit of Mozart, what would, you know, he entered into you, what would you be known for? You know where I'm going with this, right? And Jen's like, yeah, I totally know this one. <laughs> Heard it before. <laughs> um, so Jesus has the spirit of the Father, he says, he's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It, it, it's his essence. He's the heart. He's the, you know, when you say, show me your heart, what are you trying to say? When you say, show me your heart, you're like, just, t- just show me your essence, your personality, your character, who you are. And the Bible says, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we know words originate from your heart, and then words come out of your mouth. And so if we were to ask, uh, ask you what's on your heart, you would, have to, you, you'd have to say, let me explain this to you, because you wouldn't say, okay, I'll show you what's on my heart. I'm going to go get an EKG. I'm going to get a CAT scan. I'm going to give you a, you know, a cardi- cardiovascular rundown on what's on my heart. You would not show your heart that way. When someone says, show me your heart, you're saying, will you please just have fellowship with me? Will you please have intimacy, intimacy with me? Into me, you see. Have you ever heard that explained? <laughs> um, please have intimacy with me um, so you could see what I'm trying to say. So when we say that guy is all heart, and I, I did this a few weeks ago when, when we were talking about how the word became flesh, but I want to I connect it again because we're, we're at that part where it says, no one's seen God at any time, but Jesus, the expositor of God, he's revealed him. So the word of God that's manifested came from the heart of God where words come from. So when we say that guy's all heart or what's the heart of the matter or she wore her heart on her sleeve or let's get to the heart of it. When we get to the heart of it, it's Jesus because the heart of the matter is that Jesus is the matter of God's heart. Does that make sense? So God speaks God. He could speak Hebrew, Greek, Latin, English, Aramaic, Pig Latin. He could speak Nevaeh. God could speak anything. He understands. But when God wanted to communicate with us and tell us what was really on his heart, he sent us the living word, Jesus. And it became flesh. We dwelt. We we beheld his glory. Jesus is God's translation from what's on his heart. He's the heart of the matter. He's the matter of God's heart. Words come from the heart and reveal the heart. And when God wanted to share what was on his heart, the deepest most intimate thing on his heart, he translated him, his heart and put skin on his words so that we could say, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. When you study Jesus, who's the heart of God, words you can't see, but when you put skin on words, you can see, and now you could say, I see what you're saying, God. Oh, I see what you're saying with that prostitute. I see what you're saying with that person that's trying to be self-righteous. I see what you're saying with that person that 
that's struggling. I see what you're saying with that tax collector. I see what you're saying with this person, that person, the children. Oh, I see what you're trying to say. I see what you're saying in forgiveness. I see what you're saying uh, with patience. I see, I see, I see what you're saying when I see it in the person of Christ who was the revelator of God's heart, who you can't see. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? So, Jesus is God's translation. Now we could know what love looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what compassion looks like, what patience looks like, what peace looks like, what gentleness looks like, what meekness looks like, what kindness and sacrifice. We could even see what eternal life looks like and is like. Read 1 John, just the first few verses of chapter 1. We have touched, seen, handled the word of life. Right? Right? Yes, Jennifer, the word of life. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1. I want to show you just a few more quick thoughts and then we'll be done. Point 1. No one's seen God at any time. Point 2. Jesus made manifest this invisible God. He came from his heart to make God's heart known. So God spoke in different ways in different times. So going through a long line of prophets, this is from a message, the paraphrased version. I'm going to show you a New King James Version after this. But going through a long line of prophets, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his son. By his son, God created the world in the beginning, and it will all belong to the son in the end. The son perfectly mirrors God. He's, he's the, the image of the invisible God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says by powerful words. New King James, or actually this is a modern King James version, the MKJV. Um, God, who at many times and in many ways spoke in times past by the fathers, by the prophets, he has in these last days spoken to us by, and um, George probably knows this way better than I do, the he and the his in most of the translations is in italics. So indicating the, 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 you know, the translators put it there just to help with the clarity. But it really is spoken to us, Jesus. He spoke Jesus. He spoke through a donkey. He spoke through a burning bush. He spoke to Moses out of a, you know, the pillar and the cloud. He spoke in different ways and in different manners. And God could speak any language at any time. He's God. But now he just spoke Jesus. Do you see what I'm trying to say? See what God's trying to say here? So when God wants to speak, he could speak anything. He speaks Jesus. That's his language. He, the word became flesh, and we beheld what was on the heart of God. The word that God created everything with was manifested. So he has in the last day spoken to us by Jesus, who is his point, and you've probably read all the rest. Okay, so... The purpose of God manifesting the word of his heart is so that we could be invited into a love union with him. If you're still here, okay, good. Um, he, in the last day, has spoken to us by his son. He's appointed heir of all things by whom, who be in the bright, verse 3, who be in the shining splendor of his glory in the express image. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but since we're here, I just want to bring it up again. The Greek word character. So when you... 
they translated the word character in Greek to image, and it's the only place in the New Testament where that word character, and if you were to do like the, with English letters, it would be K-A-R-A-C-T-E-R, but we would, we would write that word in English, C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R, character. And when you think of character, you think of what's a person like? What's that person like? And so if you were to do a character study of the person of God, you study the life of Christ because he's the character of God. The, the, the English translates it, he's the image of God. But if you were to pull it back to the Greek, he's the character of God. It's who God is. This invisible God who's no one ever seen, he wanted to manifest himself, so he said, I'll put skin on my... I'll put shape to my character so you can see what I'm trying to say. I'll show you my heart. When someone says, show me your heart, you don't do an open, you know, chest cavity surge. <laughs> God says, I'll show you my heart because I'll give you my character and it will show up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so he does all this so that we could be invited into an eternal love union with God. He reveals all of this so that he could invite us into this. So Jesus invites us and reveals to us the Father. You'll know these passages. Sometimes we skip verse 27, but in Matthew 11, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So Jesus reveals the Father, but then verse 28 comes, where the invitation, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because when you learn of Jesus, you learn of the heart of the Father. And look, is the world freaking out right now? Jesus is saying this to the world as well. Hey, world, come unto me. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly and gentle. You'll find rest. You could offload your burden. You could cast all your burden on the Lord because he cares for you. He came for you. He manifested himself for you so that he could reveal who he is to you, so that you could be in union with him and then in union with his family, which are all the born-again believers. Now we could know the Father through the Son by the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is, might be misplaced because I'm kind of bouncing around, but I want you to see this. Look at, um, are you guys kind of maybe do the next slide and the next slide? Or, yeah, do the next one. Okay, we can know the Father through the Son. Okay, do the next slide. Is there, is it missing, is there not 1 Corinthians chapter 2 up there? Oh, okay, right there. Um, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of the man, of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man or the heart of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, Sean, I don't know what's on your heart right now. 
I could say, what's on your heart? You could say, I don't know, a lot of cholesterol, a lot of plaque, um, my job. Uh, you could tell me a lot. I don't know unless you tell me. I could just look at you, but I don't really know. I don't know what's on your heart until you reveal me to me your heart. Even so, no one knows the things of God or the heart of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. What do they have? The spirit of fear, the spirit of you know lust, uh, the things that they have the spirit that's opposite of God. But we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us of God. So in other words, you don't know what's on my heart unless I share it with you. I don't know what's on God's heart unless he shares it with me, but he shared it with me in the person of Christ. Now I know what's on his heart. And look, the Christian life, I've said it a lot of times, is not a life of acquisition. You're not getting bigger, faster, stronger in that you're getting more of God. But when we allow the Spirit of God to keep teaching us all that we got when we got Christ— then we'll start to discover and unpack the gift that keeps on giving and we'll know the things that have freely been given to us already in Christ. And the Holy Spirit does that for you. Okay? Last verse I want to look at. We can know God and have his love known, experienced, and expressed. I wish I could spend, we will spend more time when we get there to John 17, so I don't want to just kind of do a flyby. We'll come back to this. <laughs> I don't know how long down the road, but and I've given them the glory. Remember back in Exodus 33, Moses says, show, show me your glory. I want to see what it tastes like. Show me your glory. Um, he says, show me your glory. And, and God says, okay, I'll show you. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. You see a little bit of my glory. Um, but Jesus is now praying. He's saying, and I have given them the glory which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfect in one. This is our union in Christ in the family of God. We're in the family. And that the world may know, this is like a good witness, that you have sent me and I have and have loved them as you have loved me. Let me ask you this. How much does the Father love the Son? Infinite, right? Unconditional. How much are you loved? Do you ever doubt God's love? Because we think, he loves me, he loves me not, or I didn't do very good, or I didn't read my Bible yesterday, or man, I forgot to send that card. Or that. Do you ever kind of go up and down with God, the scale of God's love? You are on an infinite love spectrum, an eternal love laser, laser beam love towards you. And it's unending because you are loved with the same source of love and the same kind of love that the Father has for the Son, He now has for you. And you're in the Son and daughtership of God. You're in the family. And you are eternally being loved. My friend Steve Pettit, um, I just talked to two days ago. He wants to come out and be a blessing to the church. He says, you are, all, you are the always being loved child of God. He says that all the time. It's never got out of my head. You are the always being loved child of God. So you are loved 
And so in conclusion here, do you know God? Do you know God? Will you spend eternity in and with the presence of God? Christian, have you ever doubted I have the character and the goodness of God? I think the devil's always on attack, you know, of bringing into question the character of God. Well, if God's good, right, and then you fill in the blanks. If God is so good, and then here comes, you know, uh, the devil. Um, But you need to know. And so if you ever doubt it, to do a character study, when someone does a character study in the FBI or whatever, you know, they go right to the source or to do a character study of God, if you're ever doubting the goodness of God, go right to the source. Go to Jesus. He's the character of God. He's the express image of his person. And then, uh, did you know that when God wanted to give you his whole heart, he gave you Jesus, the heart of the matter. Now we could know that the Father loves us as he loves the Son. We don't come to the Bible to learn of facts. We come to the Bible to learn of the Father. And we can now know that because the Son has revealed it. But you can't know any of that if the Spirit of God didn't come in into you and reveal to you these truths and show you the heart of the Father. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could gather as Christians, as a peculiar people, a people full of hope. We contain your glory. It doesn't seem like it. We don't reflect it. We don't experience it often. But Lord, you've prayed for that we'd receive it. Now we have. We are immense and immersed in your love. We're like a bottle thrown out into the ocean with the cork off. And we, you're not only in us, but we're in you. And, but we're, we have this insurmountable uh, just enclave of love that's just in us, around us. And Lord, we don't want to hoard it. So help us leave here and to express who you are. We have your mind. We have you as our our eternal resource. Lord, help us to be lights in our community. Help us to be the source of love. Help us to be of sound mind. Give us wisdom. Lord, we don't want to be foolish either. Um, And so give us wisdom and uh, just go with us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So let's, church, let's go be the body. Let's go be the body and go be the church to a community that desperately needs to see it a real version of it. Amen? Amen.